0: Kick is live. It is Sunday night, April 11th, the year of our Lord, 2021. How about that suspenseful intro music, by the way? Ooh, feels like uh, Speed, too. Did they make a sequel to Speed? Keanu Reeves, probably uh, probably one of the top 30 most underrated actors in the uh, 90s. I've got full feedback in my ear, by the way, Jesse, in case you guys can't tell up there. All right, so we've got a loaded show tonight. Jam Packed It's probably our most loaded show of the spring, so really excited to talk about scrimmage intel from Georgia, scrimmage intel from Alabama. I got a ton of scoop from Florida state. We've got Oregon. We got South Carolina. Who else are we talking about? We're talking about Michigan tonight. So we got a whole lot to get to. Also, you know, some people have played their spring game. Some people haven't played their spring game. We'll get to all of it here. The Saban rule. Some of you know what that is. Some of you don't know what that is. It may be irrelevant before too much longer. It may be scrapped. It seems like it's on the chopping block right now, which is a good thing. We will discuss that tonight. Also, Instagram growing very quickly. We like ballooned well past 2000. We're headed towards 3000 right now. Uh, follow me there at Late Kick Josh. We've got some really good ideas coming up, really good content ideas. They'll be exclusive there. It's just it's it's stuff that if you followed me for a while, you know, back when we had normalcy and we could go to games and spring games and practices and stuff, you got all kinds of stuff there that I couldn't give you on the show. So that's coming again that's my only um that's my only tease at late kick josh on instagram but because we're already over 2000 you remember what the promise was we got a brand new late kick show owners association meeting that is imminent the lottery is tonight in fact right after this show producer jordan who does the podcast for us we will conduct the lottery if you've already gotten your emails in great if you haven't may want to get them in right now if you're watching live we may be able to squeeze some in if you get selected to participate in this next show owners association meeting You will be notified probably no later than tomorrow at noon or so. Um, Write that in pencil, not pen. We're going to try and do this thing Tuesday evening. Same format we did last time, only a lot different in some ways, and it'll be a lot better, I think, because of that. So be ready for that. Really, really, I mean really excited because that's just kind of – it's like a little egg that's hatching into an idea that we'll be able to do in the fall. So we are, um, we're looking forward to that. Sunburnt today. Beautiful day. And uh, Colin, I didn't tell you this. So before we start, I was out and about in Brentwood, which is where our studio is. It's just south of Nashville. And you will never guess what I saw. So I'm at, I'm at a park. I went to the gym earlier. was at a park. And I was running my hills like I like to do there. And right there in Brentwood, Tennessee, out in the wild, unscripted, was somebody not driving a white Range Rover. It was wild. It was it, again, out in the wild. It wasn't like a movie set. It wasn't an out of towner, but there was someone who resides here who was not driving a white Range Rover today. So it was a great day. Obviously everyone was out and about, but now we've got a jam packed show. So let's dive in. I wanted to talk scrimmage until first, then I'm going to get into a whole lot more and then we'll conclude obviously with the Saban rule deal. Alabama had a scrimmage yesterday. They've got their spring game, the A-Day game, coming up this Saturday. But before that, I wanted to just give you some whispers and intel that we picked up. Uh, BamaOnline.com now, that is the Alabama branch of 24-7 sports. They do a great job. I mean, there's wall-to-wall coverage over there all the time. Uh, Their staff, top to bottom, is one of, if not the best that we have in this network. However, I wanted to add on to some of the things maybe that they've talked about over there, or if you're not a member over there, A, why not? But B, In the meantime, as you consider joining, let me just run some things by you because the number one topic of conversation when it comes to Alabama, I think from a national level is different than it is from the regional or maybe hyper-focused local level. Nationally, you know, if you live in Tacoma, Washington, you're probably just wondering who's going to play quarterback for him. Oh, it's that Bryce Young kid, right? I wonder how he's doing, which is fair. I'm not saying they're not talking about that in um, Tecumseh, but I will say this, the wide receiver position, that's got a lot of focus locally. Okay, so there are a lot of people who are looking right now, and they're seeing the exit of DeMonte Smith. They're seeing the exit of Jalen Waddle, And naturally, you're asking, who is, um, who's stepping into the place there? I remember John Mechie, and I saw some other guys get on the field at times last year. We got that Billingsley cat at tight end, but who else is going to step in? Well, Here is where context is very important. So the context is, it's the middle of spring right now. There's a whole lot of rotating going on. You were listening to Nick Saban talk at his his post-practice press conference yesterday. I think, reading between the lines and talking to some people there, I think they feel plenty good enough about John Mechie, obviously. Now, he hasn't been able to practice a whole lot. Uh, He's kind of been injured, but they know what they have in him. I think that Javon Baker has turned a corner to where Javon Baker is going to be a guy who figures very prominently into the rotation for them. Here's what's interesting. To this point, and again, we haven't even reached the spring game yet, but to this point, out of this entire crop of early enrollee true freshmen that came in, Christian Leary, Jojo Earl, I can't remember if Earl enrolled or not, but Aggie Hall enrolled, you haven't necessarily heard any of those names like maybe you would in years past when some superstar true freshman emerged. That doesn't really mean it's not going to happen. It's just kind of interesting that it hasn't happened so far through a little bit over half of spring ball. So in the absence of that, in the absence of all these whispers and rumblings coming at, uh, that sound like, hey, man, wait till you see so-and-so. Boy, have you heard about so-and-so. When you don't have that, it creates this vacuum. And the vacuum turns to a little bit of mild concern. And then everyone wonders, oh, my goodness, is the offense going to drop off a cliff? Now, those obviously are the fringe pessimists. But I would say even some of the 80% of um, rational, reasonable fans look at that and say, oh, boy, I mean, I wonder what kind of drop off are we going to have there? Well, there'll probably be some drop off. They had a historic wide receiver room last year. But I will just go on record with this. When you look at the overall talent that's going to be in that room, Right now, and then obviously working into summer workouts and then working into the fall, Mm -hmm. I would uh, venture to guess they'll absolutely have a top five wide receiver group come fall. Now, the two most entertaining areas to look at for me right now at Alabama are corner and the depth they have at corner, defensive back, really. But let's specifically classify it. Guys are going to play one of those corner spots or that nickel spot, those guys, and then also their pass rushers. There's this interesting dynamic right now with Bama coming up on what's going to be a really busy NFL draft for them that normally you don't see. So I'm going to circle back to that in just a second. But their depth and talent at corners pretty wild now. They've got, I think right now with their ones, they've had uh, Armour Davis, Jalen Armour Davis and Josh Job. Josh Job's a familiar name. Malachi Moore has been hurt. He's going to probably start in that star position for him. And that's a name that's proven you saw him last year. But then guys like Marcus Banks, true freshman, Jaquincy McKinstry, street name Kool-Aid, like you got those names there too. Brian Branch is there. They've got a lot of really, really good depth. They've got the depth to the point where you look at it and you say, man, how do you keep all that depth appeased? Well, the answer is you probably don't, uh, but that's good. That's the kind of competition and depth that you want on your team. Uh, They've got it at running back right now too. Running back's probably one of, if not the best points on their team to the point where we haven't really even talked about it a whole lot this spring. But as for that pass rush, because this kind of bleeds into the overall point I'm about to make, do you realize LeBron Ray he was out for them most of last year. Jalen Waddell, speaking of the receiver position, was out for them most of last year. There are some that would tell you that is their best offensive player overall on that team and one of the very best defensive players that they had overall on that team. And they lost both of them and still won a national championship. And some of you would look at it and say they won it fairly easily, fairly convincingly, I'm not so sure you're wrong about that. So just keep that in mind when you talk about who's coming back and who's returning. Well, LeBron Ray, not only is he returning, he wasn't even there. So it's not a normal, typical returning starter situation. LeBron Ray, they were really looking forward to him last year. I remember about this time or maybe into fall camp, listening to Nick Saban, talk about him last year and saying LeBron way, uh, LeBron Ray is probably a guy up front that we don't have another of in terms of the combination that he gives you. So, you know, they've got him and they feel good about him right now. He's been kind of injury prone, but they feel good about him right now. But it's not just LeBron Ray. Will Anderson was a monster last year as a true freshman. Uh, They've got a boy B. They've got Byron Young. They've got uh, Drew Sanders, who was a true freshman last year that you thought may pop And if he didn't last year, probably would this year, their pass rush is going to be really good. It has not done them any favors on the offensive line that they've had some injuries right now, because uh, especially those tackles, they they've been getting baptized fairly regularly against that pass rush to the point where, I mean, it's kind of hard if you're going against that one defense at Alabama right now, it's kind of hard to work on that vertical passing game. Don't have time to work on the vertical passing game. But here's what I wanted to talk about the trend. And this is a spring thing, but it's going to be a 2021 thing for Alabama. So right now, there's a lot of talk about the NFL draft, right? And there are a lot of talk about a lot of Bama guys going in the NFL draft. Uh, And they are. A lot of them are going to go in the NFL draft. They usually do this time of year. But here's what you're used to thinking. This is where you kind of have to reprogram your fandom or your observation and then your expectation. Normally, when you're talking about the NFL draft loaded up with Bama guys, in years past, it meant a whole bunch of defensive guys, and maybe a running back something like that. That's not the way it is anymore. It's a whole lot of offensive guys. And so now you're going to have an exodus to the draft for the second year in a row, in, in some ways like the 10th or 11th year in a row. But then I also look at defensive line, and I look at edge rusher along with that. I look at linebacker, I look at secondary, and I'm sitting here thinking, are they upgraded? Are they equal to or better than last year's product at all three levels? Everyone wanted to look at Pete Golding. Everyone wanted to slap Pete Golding. This could be Pete Golding's year. This could finally be the payoff year for Pete Golding and the the opportunity for Nick Saban to look at you, not outright say it, but look at you and say, now you see why I kept him around. Now you see what maybe you didn't see before. It wasn't a Pete Golding problem. It was a this and that problem. I wonder how good that defense will be though. Because again, the head coach there, Nick Saban himself, on record in the past month or two as saying, can't win with defense anymore. It's not a play, strong defense, run the ball, good special teams, and win you a championship. That's not the formula anymore. So I think the defense is going to be really good. You could argue, let's just start off on the basis that this could be the best defense in the SEC. It was last year. Let's say it could be again this year. How many times do they get in shootouts? Because see, they they still had to score over 50 to beat Ole Miss last year, even with what turned out to be statistically the top defense in the SEC. I wonder how many shootouts they're going to get in. They needed every one of those 52 to beat Florida. wonder how many of those kinds of games they'll have this year. Because so I think the defense is going to be noticeably improved for them. I think the pass rush will be noticeably noticeably improved from Bell 1 for them. I wonder how many shootouts they'll have to get in. What kind of team is this? That's the way Saban put it yesterday in his presser. What kind of team do we have? I don't think they figured it out yet. I think uh, it's going to be really fun. It's going to be really fun just to watch Bryce Young operate in their spring game Saturday. Uh, Evan Neal, you know, he left yesterday's scrimmage. Feedback is that's probably not serious. Javion Cohen, a kid who went to school just across the river from where I'm from, central of Phoenix City, doesn't sound like that serious. But but Ekior's been out for the spring. Like, they've been missing some guys to where you don't really get a true look in these spring scrimmage situations. Uh, I don't think those are anything, you know, like long-term injuries. But think about this. Just Just think about how much turnover there is there. They are replacing several pieces, obviously wide receiver, quarterback, offensive line, like running backs losing Najee Harris, and everyone's just looking at that product and saying, oh, it'll still be the best offense in the SEC. And I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just kind of reflecting on how incredible it is. That's the kind of reasonable conclusion that you can arrive at right now with Alabama over in Athens uh, which is I don't know as the crow flies probably about three I don't know how fast crows fly that's normally a distance thing instead of a speed thing it's a few hours to the east in Athens they had a scrimmage yesterday too so Georgia scrimmages they get some rain so they did sort of that half and half they do some wet ball work in the stadium then they go indoors and so I'm not really sure you know who took reps where and when and how dry it was The best that I could tell, and again, the guys over at dogs247.com did a really good job of aggregating a ton of information. Kind of hard to come by sometimes. Trust me. I know it's really hard to come by, but the best I could tell JT Daniels had a good day. And I'm going to talk a lot about JT Daniels here, but I'll tell you one of the things that's starting to pop in my mind more and more is there's, there's sometimes just a confluence of career paths. You know, sometimes if you're a player and then you're on campus and then an offensive coordinator comes in at the right time, it is just what the doctor ordered for your development. And I wonder out loud, because I don't know the answer here, what the hiring of Todd Munkin as offensive coordinator there is going to do long-term for Carson Beck. I don't expect Carson Beck to start at quarterback for Georgia this year, nor do you, uh, nor does he. However, whereas at one point in time, everything I was told from Athens led me to believe he'd never see the field in meaningful action. Nowadays, it's, you know, who looks good. You know, who looks better and better is Carson Beck. Now it's always followed up with, I ain't saying he's going to start this year. I'm just saying, I don't expect him to transfer out in disgrace. Like maybe I did a year ago. Just keep an eye on that. It's, it's not something that necessarily, unless there's injury to JT Daniels, there's not something there that's probably going to crop TED up this year, but just keep an eye on that. And keep that in mind. Two popular takeaways from the Georgia scrimmage yesterday. Defensive line's really good. Don't think that's a big shock. And JT Daniels is really good. Don't think that's a big shock. Now, here's what we're about to find out. This time last year, it was uh, obviously a worst case scenario for many different reasons. But when it comes to football, you had a new offensive coordinator coming in. There was all this hope and confidence in the world that Georgia offense was about to undergo a little bit of a makeover. And then someone turned the lights out spring practice is canceled. So your new coordinator, hop on Zoom, install your offense that way. And so Kirby Smart, as he would be prone to do, knowing the kind of defense he had, went into his more conservative turtle shell, at least from a football standpoint, and said, we're going to play the way that we know how to play. I'm going to put Stetson Bennett out there, as it turns out, because of a lack of other options. And we're going to play Georgia football, as we've already defined it. Well, now we're in spring of 2021, and as you can clearly see, they have the opportunity to get on the field. JT Daniels returned. He didn't go to the draft. And so now we get to find out about Todd Monken. And then we go through spring, and we keep getting this feedback on these scrimmages from Athens, where offense is ahead of the defense. You never hear that at Georgia. Never. From the time Kirby Smart walked in there to present day, this is the first time I can remember consistently from practice at Georgia hearing... Well, offense got the better of the defense again. It's normally the opposite. It's normally defense smothered the offense. Don't worry, that's probably one of the, if not the best defenses they'll face all year. So we'll get it in gear and then come fall, we'll be able to we'll be able to put up 35 if we need to. Well, it's a different tune right now. Now, I don't know because I haven't been able to see it firsthand. And I don't know what kind of situations we're talking about. And I don't know if it's just a spring thing and then come fall by week four, everything looks the same. I would bet my... Next to bottom dollar, that's not the case, but we'll see. But the point is, this is where we get to find out about Todd Munkin, because if, if things are as they appear there, and if JT Daniels is as good as it sounds like he has been, then there is no excuse not to see a quantum leap in offensive production. So that's what I look forward to, because I don't think there's any reason not to expect that. You could point out the injury to George Pickens at wide receiver, and I would, on the surface, say, yeah, that is a really good reason to pump my brakes. But the head coach there is not doing that. More on that in just a second. What bothers them right now, what bothers them the most behind the scenes, is they got injuries at running back, and that's normally not a huge deal at Georgia. You got running back injury in the spring, it'll be there. As as sure as the leaves are going to change color in the fall, Georgia will have one or two guys capable of rushing for 1,000-plus yards. They always do, always have, always will. That's not what I'm talking about. The bigger concern just beneath the surface A little bit less obvious is if you think about what they're trying to do offensively, and that is overhaul their passing game, modernize their passing game, lean on the quarterback position a little bit more, emphasize the passing game a little bit more, work off of it like their compadres in Gainesville or Tuscaloosa have done uh, this last year, especially What becomes really critical, if you haven't done that for several years, what becomes really critical in spring install period is understanding the running back position from a blitz pickup and pass pro standpoint. Because that's stuff that a lot of these guys haven't been asked to do a whole lot. I mean, they have not trotted a quarterback out there that struck the fear of God into any defense for quite a while, especially last year when these running backs would have been on campus. So no one went into a game against... Um, you know, Stetson Bennett, for example, and said, you know, we're going to have to get after him. We cannot let Stetson Bennett sit back there and pick us apart. That wasn't what any defensive coordinator worth their salt was saying last year. But this year, when you got JT Daniels and hopefully for Georgia's sake, some really good options at tight end, which I think they do have, and wide receiver, which they will hopefully have, Now you may have the propensity as an opposing defensive coordinator to look at George and say, we got to get after JT Daniels. We got to put him on his back a few times. We got to hit him. We got to get after him. Well, all of a sudden it becomes very, very imperative, more than it ever was before for any running back you have on the field to be a plus level pass pro guy. And if they're injured in spring, it's really hard to learn that stuff and install that stuff mentally without getting the physical reps that's what's aggravating them right now, really more so than anything. But let me work back to this wide receiver deal for just a second. So yesterday, uh, Smart's talking in his post-practice media availability. Someone asked him about George Pickens. He's out. Who's been stepping up? And I think the first takeaway that I really was happy to hear is Jermaine Burton is able to do individual work, which means long-term he's going to be fine. I mean, there was a fear not too long ago when you checked your phone and you had that update. uh Uh-oh, are we going to lose him for the season too? Like Burton's the guy you can't afford to lose, I think, most of all now, at least in my mind. Uh, He did individual work yesterday, according to Kirby Smart. I think, uh, who was it? It was Arian Smith, who was a true freshman speedster, could probably outrun his own shadow. Had a touchdown catch yesterday, so all that's good to hear. But then Kirby Smart didn't stop there. He went a little bit further, and he started naming off guys. He said this guy, this guy, this guy, that guy, like they've all made plays. They've all done things in spring. And if you know anything about smart, and this kind of gets into the weeds a little bit, you have to have a pretty established data bank in your mind of reference points to know a coach, to know his tendencies. Some coaches step to the podium and they just sing the praises of every player on the roster. And you can't really decide anything or deduce anything from that. Other coaches getting compliments out of them is like pulling teeth. Therefore, when they volunteer that information, you learn that your ears should perk up a little bit. Well, Kirby Smart, unsolicited yesterday, really just started naming off receivers and started saying, you know, I'm kind of fired up about the unit, actually. Obviously, we lose George Pickens. Obviously, that's a loss in skill. It's a loss in quality depth. But he did not sound overly concerned, nearly as concerned as a lot of the faithful out there in red and black, that they're going to be incapable of of filling that slot and having really, really good production there. So again, that's one of those time-will-tell sort of deals, but I think it was noteworthy, especially coming from Kirby Smart. Moving forward to Saturday, really interested to watch them on the offensive line. Uh, Defensive back's obviously been a glaring, not area of weakness, but area of focus for us with Georgia this spring because of the inexperience there, talent but inexperience. But you know, another thing before we move on here that is – A perfect encapsulation of what last year cost, guys, is a guy like Tate Ratledge. He was a high four-star, five-star guy coming out of high school, depending on where you looked, but he was raw. So he was coming out and he was an early enrollee last year. He was going to be a guy who goes through spring and we'll see, like a massive human being, gonna probably work on the interior for us. If we can get him through spring and start and get him some reps, hey, maybe halfway through or the back half of this schedule in 2020, maybe he starts seeing some first-team game reps. Well, it never happened. Like that effort never got off the ground. Well, now you get a full spring. And so now maybe instead of freshman year, it's sophomore year. But maybe a guy like Tate Ratledge all of a sudden is a guy that benefits mightily from having a spring. Smart talked about him yesterday and said, he's just a guy we knew needed a thousand reps when he came here before he was ever going to get on the field for us in meaningful action. And now he's working his way towards that thousand reps. And so just one of many things I'm kind of excited about. uh, Got some really good spring games this coming Saturday. You would think that's it for the spring intel, wouldn't you? I told you we were jam-packed. I told you this is the most jam-packed show we've had all spring. Uh, we are 20 minutes in, and I, we still got a lot to go. So buckle up. A lot more spring intel. Florida State had their spring game yesterday. I caught it. So I was right here. I'm in the, uh, I'm obviously in the office. And I was, I was watching Nichols State and Southeast Louisiana for other reasons. And then I was watching the FSU spring game. And on the FSU spring game, there were some good things and there were some horribly atrocious, terrible, put the women and children to bed kind of things. So there were aspects, for example, kicker. If you have not already filled up your prayer list for this evening before you go to bed, put the Florida State kicking situation on your prayer list. It's that bad. We live in a world now where Alabama's got a kicker that can't miss. And Florida State has inherited all the yips that used to be associated with Alabama kicking it's bad. But I'm not here to talk about the negatives any more than I just did for 30 seconds. I'm here to talk about the positives. Jermaine Johnson is a transfer that has come into Tallahassee. Uh, He was the best player I saw yesterday. Uh, I think he got hurt, but in reality, they probably just had to remove him from the field so as to not do any more damage to the physical and and mental psyche of that offense than he was already doing. He is a 6'5", 260-pound for sure, three down guy for Florida State. Now, now he was playing at Georgia, couldn't get on the field at times. Well, this Florida State. Like, Jermaine Johnson may be the best defensive player, one of the very best that they're going to have on that team this year. So that was good to see. But the spotlight was on the quarterback position, and Mackenzie Milton, as I told you when they opened camp in Tallahassee, is the guy I was watching. I'm not alone there. A lot of people were watching him. All I wanted to see was him run. And we saw him run yesterday. It was in very controlled conditions. But we saw him run yesterday. We're looking at him. And so uh, that's that's obviously footage from uh, Central Florida. But we're looking at him. And he had a brace on his leg, like a Stone Cold Steve Austin type brace. But he ran OK. Plenty mobile enough. That will only get better, obviously. If I get that from him, as I told you at the beginning of spring, if I get adequate to plus mobility from Mackenzie Milton, he'll be the starting quarterback for Florida State. We've got it. And I think he'll be the starting quarterback for Florida State. Now that's not decided. That's not out of the mouth of Mike Norvell or anything like that. But it's Jordan Travis, Mackenzie Milton. Like that's going to be the talking point all summer. I'll put my money on him. So I think that's uh, probably who's going to win that one. Whoever starts, whomstever starts it off, or uh, starts a quarterback for Florida State has got their work cut out for him. This is the only area of trepidation for me. One hundred percent, ninety percent, whatever. It's still a reconstructed knee. Had to have multiple surgeries. And the offensive line that the starting quarterback for Florida State is going to play behind is not exactly what I would call a brick wall. And so that's very much a work in progress. It's one of the um, probably the most alarming unit collectively on their team right now that I saw at least was offensive line. So Mike Norvell's got his work cut out for him. But that kicking game, yeesh, just go for it, go for it, go for it, and then go for two. How about Ann Arbor? Michigan has locked down completely. Michigan has treated their entire spring practice like a Bilderberg convention. You can't get any information out of there. You can't get anybody in there. And so I saw Sam Webb on our Michigan site trying to glean as much as he could from, I guess, some 15-year-old kid who flew a drone over the stadium. I don't know where in the world you get information out of Michigan right now. But as locked down as things were, Sam Webb and the guys at, at the Michigan Insider were able to get some dirt. And so I was reading there, and the two things that caught my eye on top of something that was just public and available for anyone from Josh Gaddis, that's what I wanted to talk about. So the quarterback situation there, first thing we wanted to know is, is J.J. McCarthy, as a as a true freshman, early enrollee, is he just going to come in and take the job by the throat? Well, no, he hasn't. So Cade McNamara, uh, as it appears, exits spring as QB1 there. That is by no means decided. Obviously, that just means Uh, J.J. McCarthy had the usual ups and downs that you would expect even a talented true freshman to have. So all that notwithstanding, I'm listening to Josh Gaddis on the, uh, I think it's the In the Trenches podcast. He did it last week, and it was very surprising on two fronts. Number one, it was surprising because they've been so tight-lipped with information up there, and then the offensive coordinator just goes on a podcast and talks for like 30 minutes. We appreciated it though. And then the second thing that took me by surprise was something he said about the receiver position. Now obviously Michigan has been far below the athletic standard necessary to compete at the national level at receiver for several years now. And that's why it caught my attention when Josh Gaddis said, "We've got the speed and we've got the attention to detail at receiver now necessary to do whatever we want to do." Now again, these are not my words and that's not a direct quote from him, but I pretty accurately paraphrased what he said. He said we got the speed now, okay? So if there's any question out there as long as Michigan doesn't incur a ton of injuries out of the offensive coordinator's mouth, they got the speed. So speed's not speed's not a limiting factor for them anymore, according to Josh Gaddis. Attention to detail. It's not going to be a limiting factor, according to Josh Gaddis. That's good news. I don't say that sarcastically. I just say it very slow and methodically to make sure we're all understanding each other here. What i really mean is if they're sitting there with 13 points on the board midway through the fourth quarter a couple of times this fall. I'm not going to have to sit there and listen anymore to someone say, well, they just got to get more speed in here. Well, you know, they're, they're just young and they got guys whose heads are swimming. No, they don't. And no, they aren't. Not according to Josh Gaddis. So let's just tuck that away, write it on a post-it, lock it, put it in the pocket, tuck it away. We'll revisit that in fall. How about Oregon? Anthony Brown at quarterback. Every first team rep the entire spring so far. So this is another one of those situations, just like at Michigan, where we got a really, really high profile, true freshman quarterback coming in. This time it's Ty Thompson out of Arizona. And so the early question, the first thing you always want to know about any kind of true freshman quarterback, is it just going to be so overwhelming? Is it going to be so clearly the number one option that you even know it out of spring? Well, that's not the case at Oregon. Okay, that's just, that's, that's layer one of several layers that we have to go through before we decide who's going to start there. But so far, it's still Anthony Brown's job. Now, there are some conflicting theories, I guess, or maybe different theories. They're not conflicting amongst Oregon fans as to what the motivation here may be. Now, I'm just going to take it on the surface and say Anthony Brown's taking every first team rep because he's the best quarterback they have right now. But I have read the theories, and they are interesting. So he's taking every first team rep. Now, according to Mario Cristobal, there is no separation beneath Anthony Brown. So they've obviously got Ty Thompson there. Uh, They got Jay Butterfield, Robbie Ashford. Those are the two other quarterbacks. Now, I have been dismissive of those two. And to some degree, I still am, not in a disrespectful way, only because I ultimately think it's going to come down to Thompson and Brown. That's just the way I think when we get one or two weeks into fall camp, the quarterback depth situation will look. Could be wrong. It's happened a time or two before, but we'll see about that. But for Mario to say there's no separation beneath him, it really overemphasizes Anthony Brown's the guy right now. Uh, that's the transfer from Boston College. Now, here's what it does to kind of bleed into some of the theories. What it does at the very least, even if Ty Thompson ends up being the guy, what's happening right now is you want to exit spring, if at all possible, especially when you have a returning guy on your roster. You want to exit spring with at least one quarterback. You're saying right now, if we had to play next week in a parking lot, we can go into battle with this guy. Instead of splitting all these reps up, exiting spring and saying, well, it's like we think 60% here, 30% here, 10% here. No, not interested in that unless you got a bunch of true freshmen in the room. So right now, Anthony Brown's going to exit spring in all likelihood as QB one still for them. And they're going to feel good there. But at Oregon, they got 16 early enrollees that are coming in. It's the most they've ever had in the program. It's among the best program recruiting classes they've ever had. Here's what's happening. When you recruit at the level Oregon's recruiting at, you keep filling that jar and filling that jar and all of a sudden it gets to a critical mass and your roster gets to a critical point. Cristobal's seen it before. He's been at Alabama, played at Miami. He's seen some of the best rosters college football has to offer and he knows he's building one. And you can tell by practice. Talk to folks around Oregon, that's all they want to talk about. Man, these practices are crazy. And when you get to that critical mass where your roster starts to overflow over the top of that jar and you've put so much talent in the program those practices become more intense, more physical, and more incredible to witness than half the games you're going to play. Because I can promise you there is no practice that's operating at a higher level right now, day to day, on the West Coast and maybe beyond than Oregon football. They're witnessing it. You talk to their guys, they know. know, Even as tight-lipped as you may be, they understand we're witnessing something different. Every day we go out there, man, it's like a knife fight out here. It's different. Oregon practice is different. That's why their on-field product will ultimately look different in the fall just a bold prediction there. But outside of that, I wanted to touch on South Carolina before we wrap this up. South Carolina under Shane Beamer. I was over on the big spur today, which is the South Carolina message board. A lot of good people over there. One of them just said something I disagreed with. So I wanted to address it and then give you some things that I had shared to me today. So someone asked, should we consider this year, 2021, year zero for Shane Beamer? This is a popular sentiment these days. What year zero means is it's such a massive undertaking that we should, not even, we should not even acknowledge record in year one. Progress should be measured using other metrics. I believe Josh Heupel is in a year zero situation. I believe Mike Norvell last year was in a year zero situation. Let me make this clear. This is not a year zero for Shane Beamer. You do what you have to do behind the scenes to rewire the program out on the stage. I call it the two front approach behind the scenes. You got to do what you got to do out front. You do what Jeff Collins has done at Georgia Tech. Keep everyone engaged, excited and tell them we're getting there. We're getting there. We're closer today than we were yesterday, tomorrow, then today, yada, yada, yada. This is not a year zero. There's some good players on this roster. This is not year zero at all. They beat Georgia. I mean, they, like, they've done things recently. It's not, it's not the disaster of a program that's like you got to completely salt the earth and just torch this entire field and then we'll start over. It's bad. It's not that desperate. So you tee it up fall, year one, not year zero, and you go to work. How about the actual football team? Luke Doty is the guy I would lean to at quarterback right now. I think most fans around Carolina would agree with that. I think Shane Beamer, according to what I've heard at least, likes what he's seen early on there. But here's why I don't think that they look at it as, oh, man, we got no shot this fall. They like where they're at reasonably on the lines of scrimmage. So anytime you inherit a program and you look at lines of scrimmage and say, we're not bad there, you're already ahead of the curve. Because most of the time, that's the place, unfortunately, you walk in as a coach and you say, oh, someone please pull up transferportal.com. Who's available? Well, I'm not saying they won't go to the transfer portal. I'm saying they're okay on the lines of scrimmage. They got a couple of tight ends, Nick Muse and um, EJ Jenkins. Learn the name. If you're in the SEC East, EJ Jenkins, learn the name. He's a transfer from FCS. One of the best, most pleasant surprises they've had there so far is a tight end. So they got a couple of good tight ends. The problem obviously is This is not an SEC-caliber wide receiver room. Uh, The defensive back situation, highly suspect. And so there are a lot of holes on the roster. But it's not a year zero situation, so let's put that away. So that's a lot more of the spring intel and whispers that we had from around the country this past weekend. Got a bunch of spring games coming up, so this time next week will sound just like we have sounded for about the past 30 minutes. I wanted to wrap the show up with this. The Saban rule may be on the chopping block. Do you know what the Saban rule is? Well, let's just talk about it. So what is the Saban rule? In a word, pathetic. But to put a finer point on it, what the Saban rule is, is when head coaches cannot go out on the road in the spring and evaluate. Assistant coaches can, but head coaches can't. Now, it wasn't always that way. And you may ask, why did it change? Well, why is it pathetic even? Why did you call it pathetic? Here's what happened. Let me tell you a little story. So once upon a time, there was a guy, his name was Nick Saban, the aforementioned Saban Rule has been unofficially named after him. He goes to LSU. He wins a title. The Miami Dolphins say, come coach for us. He goes down there. It doesn't necessarily work out. And so he goes back to Alabama. The year is 2007. And Nick Saban starts putting together really good recruiting classes. And so in the spring of 2008, they put a rule in to where he can't be out on the road. He was living on the road. I doubt half the time he even went home at night. He's in every high school. He's like, he's pulling a uh, Ron Meyer, just a barnstorming tour. He's all over the place. And so here's what really happened. What happened was it was, or it used to be that once you got through spring, that was kind of an unofficial finish line and head coaches hit it, big chest and they break the tape. And so now once we got done with the spring game, we still got a lot of work to do. It's not like we're not going to come to the office, but we know we got SEC media days coming up in mid July. And right now it's late April. So I'm thinking May, June, we got some time to take some vacation. Good deal. And so, you know, you carve out two weeks, three weeks, especially if you're an assistant, you're going to get some downtime, some family time. These things are not in and of themselves, bad concepts. But then this cyborg walks in and he he doesn't blink as he says any of this. He says, I don't, I've never heard of the word vacation, much less take any of them. I don't really sleep a whole lot. I have no interests outside of this sport. I just want to go and see high school kids all spring. And so the coaches who actually want some work-life balance and they wanted to be home, I don't know, a couple hours a week, they didn't like this. We can do this stuff in the fall, but in the spring and early summertime, man, we're supposed to have some downtime. And this guy's walked in at Alabama and he's out there at every high school. In fact, he's more active in our state than we are in our own state this time of year. We can't have that. And so they complained and they did it about Urban Meyer. They did it about Pete Carroll, but then finally Nick Saban was the tipping point and they got aggravated that they were getting outworked in the spring. They, as far as I'll go, they is about as close as I'm going to get to naming names. I think a lot of us know who we're talking about here, but there were probably a lot more complainers that never really were highlighted. So that's why I'm not naming names. They complained enough to where the NCAA said, all right, get those head coaches off the road these poor head coaches. I mean, some of these guys aren't even paid $5 million a year. We can't expect them to work 12 months a year. My goodness. And so we take them off the road. Nick Saban comes off the road. He's one, two, three. He's only won six national championships since then. So it's become apparent apparently as of late that it didn't really do anything to deter the Alabama recruiting machine. Enter Brian Fisher from anthlon.com. He gets on Twitter the other day, And I didn't even have my contacts in when I first read the tweet. And so I put my contact in, because I'm almost legally blind, to make sure I was seeing what I thought I was seeing. Jesse, I think we actually have a screenshot of the tweet if you want to put it up. So Brian Fisher with anthlon.com just takes to Twitter.com the other day and puts this up. He says, Scoop. And boy, was it. As part of an NCAA recruiting review, there have been discussions about eliminating the Nick Saban rule, which prevents head coaches from going on the road during the spring eval period. Debate will continue at D1 Council next week. This is great. If we want to have a ceremonial burning of the actual Saban rule, I volunteer our desk right here. I'm not sure we're clear to do control burns around here, but to be honest, no one else has been in this building in months. So if you don't tell, I won't tell. Why is it dumb? Like, let's let's shift it down to Bryce Tags here. Why is it dumb for head coaches not to be able to go out on the road in spring like I'm suggesting it is? I, I thought this rule was laughable when they put it in. In fact, I'm for loosening the rule more than it was written previously before the Saban rule. Like, what really was rubbing some head coaches the wrong way, aside from not being able to vacation as much as they wanted to, was Saban, they were accusing him, at least. Saban was going out on the road, and he was doing more than just bumping into kids. They had the bump rule, where, you know, if if you're Johnny Five Star, and I'm at Bastrop High School in Louisiana, and I'm there to see you, I can come watch you, but I cannot communicate with you. I can't sit there and have a conversation with you. I know if you're not a college football fan, this sounds like the stupidest thing you've ever heard. And it is. But these were the NCAA rules. So them's what we got to live with. But what you were allowed to do, if you bumped into him and say... Hello, Johnny. I'll be back to recruit you in the fall. Say hi to your mother. That's what you were allowed to do. Well, there were some allegations out there, imagine this, that Nick Saban was doing a little bit more than just saying, hi, how are you? See you later. He was asking, how do you like the weather? And what'd you have for lunch? And so that's a no-no. We can't have that. I think that part's stupid. So I think it should be deregulated even more. But even if we just return to the way it was, why is this valuable? Well, I'll name you like 57 reasons I would, but I don't have time right now number one, it punishes hard work. So I'm against pretty much anything that does that. But then number two, it prevented valuable access. You want to know why the transfer portal so lit up? Well, one of many reasons is how about not giving head coaches proper evaluation time? What if I were to suggest to you that if head coaches could get out on the road more and talk to more guidance counselors, teachers, coaches, assistant coaches, and the like in the spring, that they could put a finer filter on their committable offer versus non-committable offer list. Therefore, you get more guys on your campus that you know are good fits. Therefore, maybe on the back end, you have a few less transfers per year. That's one of many reasons. But you know what it also does? Talk to high school coaches. Ask them what it does to their program, to the community, to continuously have Lincoln Riley coming through town, or Herm Edwards, or Clay Helton, or Nick Saban, or any of these head coaches, it's a really, really big deal. Because not only does that head coach coming into town get access to at least evaluating players that are going to be rising seniors, they also get their eyes on kids they weren't even there to see. And they get their eyes and they get their actual face-to-face with some assistant coaches that they've never met before. Dude, Jeremy Pruitt, a decade and a half ago, was not even a head coach at the high school level. He was an assistant at Hoover High School. Ended up being one of the highest profile defensive coordinators and ultimately a head coach in the SEC. How do you think that stuff happens? And so here's yet another aspect. Also, and this is not talked about a whole lot, but I can promise you from firsthand knowledge it happens. A lot of these coaches, Nick Saban, a lot of these high profile coaches, they'll go out on the road having monstrous recruiting budgets and they'll see obviously hundreds of kids. You know, if I'm, let's say I'm Nick Saban and I go to uh, Spain Park High School and I'm looking at a rising junior or a rising senior who's gonna be an offensive guard that I may wanna offer, I see like 30 or 40 other kids out there that day. I'm not gonna offer those kids. I, I'm Alabama. I only have spots for the very best in America. But I know the head coach at Texas San Antonio, or um, I know the head coach at Temple, or I, I got all kinds of connections at the FBS, FCS level. Those guys have fractions of the recruiting budgets I do. Let me tell you what happens a lot of times. A lot of times, those big time, high profile head coaches, they leave those high school practices and they say, there's one kid on that roster I could take. There are seven kids on that roster that are or should be D1 bound. And so they share information. That stuff happens every recruiting cycle, out of the spotlight, you don't see it. It can only happen if they're out there, guys. It can o- The evaluation can only take place if the eyeballs are there to see the players. And so this is a situation where football-minded people get it. But then a lot of bowtie types, you know, a lot of sweater vest types, the non-football types that unfortunately are putting the language in those rules, they don't get that. And so you got to get enough people in the room who get it to overtake the Ascot crowd who doesn't always get it, and therefore you get more common sense legislation or, in this case, deregulation. And let's keep our fingers crossed because it's good for everyone, hurts virtually no one, and the people it does hurt the most are the ones who don't really want to work, and therefore we don't really care about them anyway. That's wrap right for the show tonight. Remember to follow me on Instagram at LateKickJosh. We are set as soon as I turn this show off and we get out of here to uh, conduct the Late Kick Show Owners Association Lottery. If you get selected, we will email you. We will let you know all the details sometime by noon tomorrow. Have no fear if you don't get selected, because I got a feeling we got another one coming up very soon. Thank you so much for watching tonight. For Director Emeritus Colin Jesse and the entire crew in Connecticut, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great start to your week, and God bless.